And so, the semantic nightmare began. (laughs) Today on Dumpster Book Club, we're talking about planet probability. I'm Sean. And I'm Mimi. And this book is boring. So this is the one year anniversary of the podcast. We made it. And we're going to talk about that and do a little retrospective, but we'll put that at the end of the episode. So if you want to hear that, just wait till after the music. If you don't want to hear that, just turn it off with the music or turn it off now. (laughs) (laughs) Turn it off whenever you feel like. This is the sequel to the first book we read, Probability Man. And I've been dreading coming back to this series (laughs) all year. Yeah, we started with the hardest book. (laughs) We picked up both of these books together at the same time because I was so excited to see a complete series. And Um, it was about probability. And I was expecting a math adventure. And both have really nice covers. This one has a pretty neat color palette of yellow and turquoise and green and red. Just a lot of really rich jewel tones but then all this contrast and they still they still have the robot as a metal robot instead of a furry beast yeah and it has the same kind of weirdness as the first book where it looks nice at a first glance but then you start to look closer at all the details and does this make any sense what's actually going on of the robot yeah, there's the robot. He doesn't even look like a robot. He looks like a gray alien. Yeah, his limbs are kind of weird now that I'm looking at it. It's almost a skeletal robot. What else is going on on the cover? Well, to me, it looks like they've combined the scenes where they're tied up and held by Sergeant Hawk with the scene where they've discovered Spingarn and Ethel. Except Spingarn <laughs> is tied up. Yeah. This is a scene that's not in the book. But But it's close to a couple scenes that are in the book, just in the wrong order. Although, I don't know what's up with this lady's outfit. I don't think that's in the book at all. Yeah, that's not a character from this book. (laughs) That makes the most sense. Maybe that's the alien. If the alien looked like that, Brian and Ball would have mentioned the ripe, swelling breasts. (laughs) But... He said that about a different character. Probably the alien would be called the bitch alien also. Oh, (laughs) no. Okay. I forgot to check if our boy had read this book. Oh, me too. Our beautiful boy. (laughs) But I'll bet they have. A quick refresher on Brian and Ball. He's some kind of professor. I don't know what he taught, but I'm willing to go out on a limb and say that it was not probability. Hopefully not literature either. As far as we know, he's uh, still alive. 86-year-old man. Not, not much else to say about him. Now that we've read Time Stop, do you think that might have been the inspiration for his time series, <laughs> time piece, time pivot, and time pit? <laughs> I don't think anyone has been influenced by Time Stop. I do not think it has influenced 
Maybe it influenced someone to drink. <laughs> Do you want to give a quick summary of Probability Man? An impossible task. <laughs> we spent so long trying... We spent so long trying to decipher what happened in that book. But luckily, you don't really need to know anything to read this book. Except maybe a familiarity with the characters. Even that might hinder you <laughs> from reading this book. That's true. Maybe just the universe. Both these books take place in a universe where work and scarcity don't exist. All the problems of humanity have been solved, and now everyone is bored out of their minds. <laughs> so bored, they just all wish they were dead. <laughs> a huge number of them wish to die, so they've invented the ultimate form of entertainment, which is basically just VR. Well, we never figured it out while we read the book, and we still did, we didn't figure it out in this one either. No. Lots of contradictory information. Anyway, the form of entertainment is the frames, which is you get given a new personality and you live out an exciting experience. It could be a recreation of a war. It could be you're the king or something. It seems like most of them are historical recreations. Yes, which might just be because Brian N. Ball seems to be really into history. But what we couldn't figure out is if these are real or not. Are they really transported to a place and experience a thing? Is it in their heads? Is it computer controlled? Do these physical places actually exist? That remains unanswered. <laughs> and then the biggest question and most important, both in this book and in Probability Man that isn't answered, if you die in a frame, do you die for real? We don't <laughs> know. And it's, it's important. <laughs> because a big selling point of all the frames is the, the survivability rate. You want a really low survivability score on your frame because people just want to die. Well, the other reason that that was important is that if more people are dying in your frame, it means that there's more spots opening up to bring more people into the frame. Right. That was a big thing in the first book with people switching spots. It didn't really come up in this book at all, which is good because we also could not figure out about Spingarn, who was randomly changing frames and escaped, and he is the probability man. But why is he the probability man? <laughs> we don't know <laughs> why Spingarn is the probability man. But he'll tell you he's the probability man a lot. Yes, he's very proud of it. He and his friend Ethel, who is a dumpy dump, <laughs> who's a, a lady that Spingarn is not sexually attracted to, and Sergeant Hawk, who is either an NPC from a frame or someone who was in this one frame and his brain got broken. So, Hawk, it was a bit confusing in the first book, and I think Brian Ball realized that it didn't make any sense and tried to fix that later in this book. And luckily skipped over some of the other confusing things in this book, too. So, Cleverly skipped over. <laughs> so, Sergeant Hawk playing a role of a, what, historical Englishman 
the sergeant. But presumably he's a 29th century human playing this role when Spingarn meets him. But then he leaves that frame to go back to his... 29th century body but he still has the brain and memories of the character he was playing right and i think we'll get into the brain and memories later in this one because that part is far more confusing in this book than it was in probability man (laughs) so this term wasn't used in probability man but in planet probability they've started calling him the destroyed psyche yes so something happened in the frames where his where he's broken and he will forever be this army sergeant. In Probability Man, Spingarn, Dumby Ethel, and Hawk go on a Jules Verne adventure. Yes, all the frames are getting messed up, and they have to go to the planet Talisker, where all the frames are random all the time. And they don't know what their mission is, because no one told them, but then they find out at the end that they did the wrong thing. Right. But at the beginning of this book, it didn't seem like they did such a wrong thing. Uh, and But anyway, they find out that the frames are getting messed up by this extra dimensional or extra universal being that is using the frames to learn about the universe it's in. Yeah. Then it gets a little muddled as to what happens. Mm-hmm. There's a big fight and then they get the gene key. No, they they blow it up. They blow up the gene key. What what is the gene key? We don't know, but blowing it up turns them back into humans. Because when you go into a <laughs> oh god, because when you because when you go to a frame, you get turned into a thing. So when they go to Talisker, they get turned into random things. Yeah. So Spingar becomes a devil, and Ethel becomes a hot lady she becomes a hot lady with ripe swelling breasts and that's how she's described in the first book and they use the exact wording again in this book and hawk is turned into a giant metal corkscrew oh but so the jinky doesn't turn them back because they come back as that yeah right something happened to fix hawk because in this book he's got both legs again yeah, that doesn't make any sense. But also it doesn't make any sense because uh, based on stuff in this book, he shouldn't have been changed into the corkscrew anyway. Yeah, somebody didn't think this through. <laughs> Brian Ball hadn't <laughs> planned a sequel. Anyway, that all that information we just told you that was very clear and concise and makes total sense is all you need to know to understand what's happening in this book. <laughs> and now we shall explain planet probability in the same clear (laughs) concise understandable way we start off with brand new characters no marvel's returning character from probability man he was spingarn's friend also a plot director who works on designing the frames coming Mm -hmm. up with the storylines that people live and and die in um but he was a very minor part mainly for comedic relief he's a big fat man and when you meet him all he's wearing in probability man was a bejeweled cod piece in this book i think he's described as wearing basically a steampunk outfit with a top hat i feel like it was still revealing though (laughs) (laughs) that's possible maybe that was just me projecting (laughs) but i feel like it was a revealing steampunk outfit That would be in character. I think the 
decision to make Marvel a serious character where you get to be in his his thoughts was a really bad idea. It's a little confusing because he suddenly hates Spingarn, which he didn't seem to. He was friendly enough in the first book. What else about him? He's a piece of shit. <laughs> He's uh, garbage. Which is normal for Brian and Ball because Spingarn is a piece of shit. <laughs> I don't mean badly designed character. Just... Just generally loathsome. A, a bad example of humanity. Yeah. And Marvel manages to be even more deplorable of a human than Spingarn. He's a sniveling coward, but also incredibly arrogant and puts everyone down and believes he's better than everyone else, but at the same time is incapable of doing anything for himself. Yeah. So make him main character (laughs) and um well to me it seemed like liz was the main character at least if brian and ball could get over himself she would have been the main character because she's a normal person for most of the book she's um Uh, well (laughs) 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 she's a normal person for two-thirds of the book two-thirds of the book uh she's like a um, also a plot director, but is she kind of assisting Marvel? She's learning. I feel like she's an apprentice. Yeah. Um, trying to learn how to become a, pl- a better plot director. And, um, you know, she has motivations, curiosity. Someone you could identify <laughs> with in a difficult situation. She makes an effort to move the plot forward. Yeah, that's the, that's the godsend of this character, Liz. <laughs> Is that she will stop something and decide, okay, let's do it. Or let's do the thing. Which was the biggest problem with Probability Man. Is they just talk and talk and talk or repeat themselves and go over the same information over and over again. Ask the same rhetorical questions. Yeah, and and Liz is always just, come on, let's do it, let's go. <laughs> yep. So then uh, Liz and Marvel have to go to Talisker. Because the frames are still messed up, maybe. But we're not really given a very clear reason. No one's heard from Spingarn and crew, or maybe they have. He's gone missing. I don't know why you would want to mirror Probability Man where they get sent on a mission without knowing any information about it. Again, that wasn't a great part of the book. Yeah, this whole book felt like Brian N. Ball trying to write the same book again, but a little bit better. Uh, At first, it was a bit better. Yes, we didn't spend half the book dealing with amnesia. And I think he explained the system of the frames a bit faster and then didn't really talk about some of the stuff that didn't make any sense, like timeouts. Yeah, we got into the the plot happening a lot faster. But what was the plot? Well, they go to Talisker. Right. They meet Horace, who was the robot from the first book. And Horace has amnesia. (laughs) He can't remember any of the fun adventures he had with Spingarn and Sergeant Hawk in Probability Man. That's right. I think I remember thinking that Brian and Ball's writing style... Does he have a style? (laughs) Well... His style was 
perfect for a character with amnesia. (laughs) (laughs) It was just like stream of consciousness, inner monologue, asking yourself questions. Every other sentence has an exclamation point or a question mark. And so it fit the beginning of Probability Man, as horrible as it was. But it didn't make as much sense for characters who don't have amnesia. Yeah. But he brought back Horace with amnesia to get back into his comfort zone. (laughs) Okay, so Horace was going to help guide them into the frames of Talisker. But he doesn't. But he does. Oh, God. Because there's rules about robots where Horace cannot intervene unless it's something that Liz or Marvel could do for themselves. Yes. Except when he decides he can. Yeah, he has all these stupid rules that are not well explained, but then he immediately breaks them if the plot has to actually happen. Because the characters Liz and Marvel are... Tied up. By Sergeant Hawk, who they meet first when they get to Talisker. Who also seems to have forgotten a lot of things or seems to have... (sighs) Regressed? Yeah. He's... Because he's suddenly confused and acting weird about things that he's already gone through. And he supposedly spent a year there, too. Yeah. So he just got reset. Uh, Did you want to mention how Hawk kept saying the word bubbies? And then Liz kept saying the word bubbies. Oh my god. Okay, so this part made no sense because Liz is a director of historical frames, but suddenly she's like a huge idiot and can't understand these old-timey words that Hawk is using, like bubbies. <laughs> what are bubbies? And uh, that that was rough. It was just rough to have to read the word bubbies over and over again. Oh, my God. Also, there's a chapter where they meet a dog and nothing else happens in that chapter except for the dog and maybe a hundred uses of the word bitch to describe the dog. I think this book is the most times I've seen the word bitch written down (laughs) in one place. Yes. And I've been on the Internet. (laughs) Um, also, this book should get an award for how many times it uses the word anus. <laughs> yep. This book has the bitch anus award. Oh, my God. So, Hawk, he's tied them up. They're trying to convince him that they're friends of Spingarns. But, um, and then Horace just stands around and reminds them that he's not allowed to untie them. And <laughs> they spend several chapters tied up on the ground, unable to move. And those chapters were pretty painful. Yes. But eventually they get thrown into possibility space. What is possibility space? I have no idea. But (laughs) what I can tell you in possibility space, you get turned into an animal of some kind. A strange prehistoric world there's dinosaurs, there's the prehistoric tigers, there's mammoths and stuff, and there's bones everywhere. And eventually they figure out that everyone who's been entering becomes one of these things, and all those bones are from real people that entered 
became dinosaurs and then got eaten. And the reason for this is that the alien is trying to recreate human evolution so that he can understand things. But somehow he got stuff mixed up. He's putting mammals with early dinosaurs. And that's not, that's not accurate. But it doesn't matter. No. Brian Ball just wanted to... Thanks, Rico. So Marvel um, is basically being barely above a villain. The sniveling coward that he is is trying to find a way to like basically betray Liz and run away. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he's like thinking of ways that he can leave her behind. And he runs into a saber-toothed tiger. But at this point, Liz has already figured out what's going on for no reason. But... The tiger, instead of killing Marvel, picks him up and saves him from like falling off a cliff or something. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it's Spingarn, and he and Ethel are sexy prehistoric tigers now. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of descriptions from their perspective as tigers about each other's <laughs> muscly tiger bodies. <laughs> And they have tiger children. That they had as tigers. Yeah. Not babies that were turned into tigers. No. They made it as tigers. And this is super weird because we we don't know what happens if you die in the frames. But apparently you can be born in the frames. Like, are these children real people? (laughs) And what happens to a child that's raised as a tiger and then turns into a human later? Yeah, these are questions Brian M. Ball is not ready to answer. (laughs) So Liz and Marvel figure this all out. They're starting to understand what's going on, even though they don't fully explain it to the reader. And then they can't explain it because they turn into some kind of ape Neanderthal. And two very funny things happen right after they're (laughs) turned into apes. They run away from the tigers, and then Liz Ape is afraid, so Marvel Ape taps her anus, and she is calmed. (laughs) Uh, uh, I don't think there's any funnier comment we can make other than just saying that. I think we both read this part and laughed aloud, alone, (laughs) uncontrollably. Um, And then... The mating was protracted and violent. Oh, my God. Uh, What a nightmare. The rest of the book is a nightmare. (laughs) Because from here, it splits into two plots. One of Spingarn and Ethel, who Horace helps turn back into humans. And one of Liz and Marvel as apes, living, mating, eating... (laughs) In this horrible world. Killing a lot of things. (laughs) Eating a lot of humans that are transformed into other animals. Uh, Let's just not talk about the endless amount of pages describing the apes mating and (laughs) killing other animals and the weird Uh, grunt communications they have the calming anus touches yeah the the calming anus taps and we can stick with spingarn and ethel 
Yeah. Ethel is a mother now that they have two human children. The babies are unaffected by being born as tigers and turned into humans. They had like a moment of behaving like feral tigers, but they adjusted pretty fast. Um, and now that Ethel is a mother, she's basically not part of the story. She is an NPC She's now. irrelevant. And uh, Spingarn does take a moment to comment negatively on Ethel for caring too much about their children. I think he describes her as basic. And then he's like actually disgusted about how concerned she is about the children. But she didn't even want to get married in the first book. The first book ended with Spingarn proposing because he wanted to mate and marry, and she said no. But and then eventually, he hit her. yes, the the physical assault convinces her. But now that they did mate and marry, Spingarn is like just looking for a way out. I don't think this was Brian Ball's intention, but I do imagine in this universe where there is no work and everyone spends all their times in the frames, there must be some really huge program taking care of children yes the world as it's presented makes very little sense and seems like very little thought has gone into it sure maybe extrapolating into it is a mistake so then they just do nothing for two weeks while liz and marvel are trapped (laughs) as apes in possibility space yeah and then spingarn decides to go in to save them while Spingarn is in there, he, like, brought something, some, like, neural interface capsule that was going to turn them back into normal, but he drops it and falls into their ape trap that they set. <laughs> uh, but none of that matters, because Hawk decides that he's going to blow up probability space with a bomb. Just so you know, it doesn't make any more sense to us <laughs> how... Spingar can go back in there and not turn into an animal again. There's an explanation. Okay, do you want to? Uh, no, it didn't make it's, any it's sense. It's really long and complicated, so I'd be interested if you told me. It has to do with the memory cassette interface being removed. No, that that wasn't it. It was something else. It, so in the first book, there were memory cassettes, which seemed like it was a physical thing you put in someone's brain that would give them all the knowledge they needed for the frame they were going into. And then you could take it out again. In Planet Probability, your brain gets injected with a cell that erases all your previous memories and rewrites them for the frame. Yes. But that can also change your physical form. Yes. Something happens where Spingarn can't be turned into a tiger anymore. Because they removed that thing from his brain. Uh, They removed the one cell. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. They also didn't really explain how he got turned back into a human. But it also doesn't make sense to us how Hawk can blow up possibility space and how him blowing it up turns Liz and Marvel back into humans or it doesn't even turn Marvel back into no, a human. It turns it, Liz back into a human, and then Marvel later turns back into a human. A lot of things just change, and then Spingarn and Liz and Ape Marvel have to communicate with the extra-dimensional being. And Liz figures out that Marvel, 
Marvel knew the answer, but he wasn't able to say it. The, was, the answer to what? We don't know. <laughs> the, he has the answer. The answer to the end of this book. Yeah, but he wasn't able to finish saying it before he was turned into an ape. So now that she's a human, she has to remember her ape memories so that she can communicate with Marvel in his language. Which doesn't make sense because <laughs> the, defi- the definition of the cell system is that she would not remember any of it um so she holds on to those (laughs) memories and the apes have a language with 23 words brian and ball had to think of 23 words and one of them is um i'm shaking my head disappointedly at brian and ball right now uh so she's just like speaking ape to this like scared ape and she's able to do it and the answer is that just guess <laughs> can apes even make an sound you gotta put your teeth on your lip i don't know <laughs> anyway sorry continue with uh, this plot um so basically the the point of the book the moral of the story is that sometimes You just need to guesstimate, and that's good enough. Sometimes you have to wing it. Because the alien has been trying to recreate all of human evolution, but getting caught up in the details, and he can't figure it out because he's got dinosaurs mixed up with humans. But uh, just guess. And that's that's a solution. Then we get the epilogue. (laughs) Do you feel fulfilled? (laughs) Uh, no uh so it turns out liz is also pregnant and the idea of waking up from this nightmare of living as an ape and then finding out that you're pregnant by this horrible man is a nightmare in itself Mm -hmm. that's the true horror (laughs) of this book it wouldn't take much to tweak this into a body horror yeah. You could even keep the anus tapping. <laughs> uh, but I guess Liz and Ethel live happily ever after as mothers together and Marvel and Spingarn go on to do another adventure somewhere else. And that's the end. That's the end of the series. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like he was leaving his options open for book three. <laughs> Do you think Probability Man really sold well enough? Uh, I I don't understand because he definitely didn't write Probability Man thinking of a sequel. And this one rewrites too much of it. So it must be requested. Do you think so? And Brian and Ball's like, I really got it with that first one. I don't think I should do another one, Mr. Publisher. The the people are clamoring for more Probability Man. Oh my god. No, I don't know. I don't know why Planet Probability happened. When I started reading this book, I felt a wave of relief because it is so much easier to read than Probability Man. The sentences are real sentences that have beginnings and have subjects and predicates (laughs) and fewer interruptions. We don't get clauses inside of clauses inside of clauses. Yeah. And the punctuation was fairly normal. 
<laughs> well, closer to normal English punctuation. Except when Spingarn shows up. Yeah, so eventually it devolves back into the same old bullshit. But I was able to read the first half, I'd say, of this book fairly quickly. It turned into the same slog that Probability Man was, where it was just painful getting from sentence to sentence. Yeah. I mean, just that part where they're... Our main characters are unable to move for chapters and chapters. Like, And it'd be okay if they were saying something, not just repeating themselves over and over again, or complaining about how it sucks that they can't move because they're tied up. One thing I liked about this book is there's a little bit more world building. You get to see some spaceships. You explore the frame center where they make the frames. They talk about space travel for a bit. Not a lot. But there's some there's some sci-fi stuff in there uh, that makes you feel a little bit like these are events in a bigger galaxy. It's not even like they were good. It was just a, a reprieve, I guess. Do you think he just wanted to write like a time travel story? Like maybe have some characters go to prehistoric times or something like is that why he is that what he was going for? Would that have been better if he didn't have the elaborate setup of the Talisker thing and the gene key that he never explained? Like, I think it could be a lot less confusing, but I don't think he just wanted to write a time travel book because the climax at the end is Marvel telling an alien it has to guess. Okay, I can't yeah. imagine him having a vision for this that isn't this. <sighs> yeah. And I don't know if a simpler story would have made the writing any less painful to read. So never mind. <laughs> and I did kind of want to compare Brian and Ball's vision of the future with one from another book we read this year, Tanith Lee's Silver Metal Lover. This is like a heavyweight boxer fighting a cardboard box. <laughs> it's not really fair. <laughs> they have very similar ideas that in the future, robots and automation and stuff will end up taking over a lot of the work that needs to be done for society to function. Yeah. <laughs> and Silver Metal Lover, also a book from the 80s, but... A very dystopian, um, but I think maybe very real, where having work become scarcer and scarcer just ends up like with a diverging class system where the rich get richer and are able to benefit from that system and the lower class becomes poorer and poorer and they end up having to like basically fight for the little amount of work that there is to survive, even though there's enough wealth to kind of provide for things in that society, but it's being hoarded at the top. And there's like, that book starts with a very limited exploration of that idea because you have a very upper class character, but then it sort of ex starts to explore the people that live in the cracks of society and who don't have everything, you know, taken care of by the benefiting from, you know, robots doing all the work. But in this, it's so, okay, robots do all the work, so nobody has to do any work, so everybody in the world only does these frames for entertainment. We all just play Halo, but we're always playing that one fucking map. <laughs> <laughs> I want to play a different map sometimes. 
Okay, and then there's also people, the other people who don't do that, just work on the frames. But there's so many things that are not explained by that, like... Well, I think Tanith Lee is obviously more socially conscious than Brian Ball, but also the Silver Medal Lover is focused on people and relationships, It's about the characters and their struggles. So naturally, the world she builds has other characters struggling, um, you know, as people, but in the world, too. And I think Brian was never thinking about people. Uh, He wanted to tell a point A to point B story with adventure and sci-fi stuff. It's obvious, based on the characters in this book, who are nothing, Yeah. And when they are something, it's miserable. Uh, (sighs) The real elephant in the room of this book is, what does this book have to say about women's place in society? (sighs) And how does Brian and Ball feel about women's place in society? Yeah. This book was a bit over the top with the constant, totally unnecessary commentary on Liz's body and even Ethel's body when she wasn't in the story from both Marvel and Spingarn. And it was a bit ridiculous at the beginning, and then also Spingarn is introduced, where Liz says something, and then Marvel looks at her body, and that's described for no reason out of nowhere. (laughs) And Marvel, like, is really obsessed with Ethel being fat and calls her Fat Ethel. Even though... In this book, she's skinny because she went through the whole gene mutation thing to become hot with ripe, swelling breasts. But he's still, like, complaining about, like, her lard body. Why? (laughs) Even though Marvel is also an obese character himself. Yeah, but instead of realizing that, it just also has descriptions of Liz complaining about his gross body. Yeah, that's true. Just body shaming all around. (laughs) Liz is often not referred to by name, but just as the woman, the woman assistant, or the bitch, or the callous bitch, and other kinds of bitches. But, like, for no reason. Just, that's how Marvel sees her. That's probably how Brian and Ball (laughs) sees her. Um... I could imagine him thinking that that was a character trait of Marvel, but what is more revealing is how quickly Ethel and Liz both go from adventuring or working uh, to motherhood and no longer being interested in their own lives. Yeah, and now they're no longer relevant to anything, and they just disappear from the story. Rearing the child is the woman's job, and Spingarn and Marvel get to go adventure, and everyone's happy with that. <sighs> None of this is surprising to us, though. It was it was there in Probability Man as well. I was gonna say, we just got another 200 pages of this garbage <laughs> to really cement Brian and Ball's feelings on all these topics. Yeah. Um, okay, well, who do you think this book is for? And don't say no one. It's so easy. (laughs) This book is for the person who read Probability Man and said, I liked that, but it could be a little bit better. (laughs) 
If that person exists, it's for you. It's a good one. Do you have an answer that isn't no one? Furries. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Specific. Ugh. Mm. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna just, touch it. Just say the October part. <laughs> I think that's it for Planet Probability. If you'd like to join us next month, we're doing a Halloween special. We're reading The Bog by Michael Talbot. If you'd like to contact us and tell us what you thought of Planet Probability, you can email us at dumpsterbookclub at gmail.com. been doing this podcast for a year i thought it'd be a good time to just talk about the experience it's not every day you record 13 episodes of a podcast (laughs) i think it's obvious how much better we've gotten (laughs) the probability man episode was a mess (laughs) it wasn't entirely our fault that was a horrible book to start with (laughs) it was i sincerely wish we had started with I wish we'd started with anything else. Yeah. It would have been great if this book had been a lot better so they could, we could mirror it. (laughs) But still the same struggles with Brian and Ball. But it's a really hard book. Probability Man and this one, the the structure is all broken up and weird and it's really hard to read. uh, And the plot is all. For a third of the book, the protagonist becomes an ape and is unable (laughs) to speak. Uh, Yeah. Um. We're we're much more comfortable in front of the microphones. We've gotten better at talking about these books. I think at first we wanted to talk about them in a more analytical way as you would a, a normal book, but it's they're they're all kind of messed up <laughs> in some way that makes them difficult to talk about. I don't think any of these books were particularly easy to explain. And I don't feel any episode we really, really nailed explaining the exact experience of reading them. No. And it's hard to show how messed up they are without just reading them. But I think that's also why I like this, Sean. I've I've been reading bargain bin sci-fi and fantasy books before we did this. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I like them is because they're familiar because they're all derivative and what's the word? I don't know. Cliche. (laughs) Yeah. But there's always something messed up about them or wrong. It makes them stand out in a special way. (laughs) Each one is a beautiful and unique flower. I think doing this has maybe changed the way I look at these kinds of books. I think I'm way softer on them than I was when we started this. <laughs> I think in some areas I've definitely gotten a lot harsher because of just how awful it is sometimes to read some of these books. But I think if the book has redeeming qualities, I do tend to cling on to those. Um, so Yeah, and maybe we've gotten a bit better at finding those. <laughs> One thing that's been great about doing this podcast is that I have to read a dumpster book every single month, and reading that much garbage 
has really inspired me to read stuff that's not garbage. <laughs> so I'm reading way more than I was before we started this. I'm glad your life is improving, thanks to Dumpster Book Club. <laughs> well, I'm glad the year has had a variety of books. Some were like this. Some were actually enjoyable. Um, we should recap the best and the worst of this year. Okay. So, what are your top two best books and top two bottom of the bargain bin books? <laughs> The ones that should stay in the bargain bin. <laughs> I think number one is Tesseract. As, as your best. favorite. I, yeah. I feel like we'll both agree on that, but maybe not. And then... Didn't you really like The Knot World? Yeah, maybe I've cooled on The Knot World <laughs> uh, as time has gone by. No, we'll we'll say The Knot World. Okay. What are your, what are your top two? I think... My top favorite book was Silver Metal Lover. Um, Tesseract was great. Oh, yeah, we didn't agree. <laughs> <laughs> and I might put that at number two. Um, but I should also give a shout out to Silver Glass. Although I don't know if that one counts since the episode was really about the sequel, Web of Wind. <laughs> but what about bottom two? Hmm, I can't decide if Probability Man or Time Stop is the worst. I have to say Time Stop. Yeah. Time Stop is probably the second worst book I've ever read <laughs> after Mute. The worst book I've ever One read. One day we'll do Mute. One day. Uh, I also did want to point out that I cannot stop thinking about A Texas Christmas Wish. <gasps> oh my god. Well, that's my number two worst from the year because of how bad I felt while reading it. More so than any other book we've read for this podcast, that has stuck in my brain. <laughs> and I'll just, I'll like, I'll remember the scene where they eat the cookie and then kiss and just think about that for a while. Or I'll remember the plane crash. I'll just be sitting alone and I'll, I'll think about. <laughs> so I thought it would be fun to do a funny Christmas book, but here we are lives changed forever and yeah my life is permanently changed by that book <laughs> but i don't think in the way that that author intended no not at all but i i still remember the feeling of finishing it finally and reading something else and just that um it's like in the cartoon where there's a character like trapped at sea survives a storm and makes it back to land you just kiss the dirt because you're so glad to have something solid to hold on to hobgoblin is the other one that i still think about sometimes yeah still remember scenes or think about the game of hobgoblin that they played really haunting a lot of the other ones are just completely they're out of my brain yeah like Cosmozoids. Cosmozoids is up there. Next stop, the stars. The seedling stars. The seedling stars. But I think with, like, time stop, it felt like my brain was actively rejecting the book <laughs> as I read it. You're just forgetting <laughs> it as you read it? Yeah. Well, here's to another great year. <laughs> Thanks for listening to us rant about these books. I think we'll continue to improve. If Brian and Ball can do it, we can too. <laughs> <laughs>